0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, fan people. The rumors are true. Harry Tarantula is moving. As of June 1st, they're moving to 3456 Young Street to what Leon promises will be a bigger and better store at the corner of Young Boulevard between Lawrence and York Mills. In the meantime... They're having a scramble sale. From now until May 31st, get 10% off all sealed Magic the Gathering slash trading card game products. 20% off wall comics, board games, miniatures, Magic the Gathering and trading card game singles. 25% off gaming supplies, toys, statues, and RPGs. 30% off new comics and pre-owned board games, pre-owned RPGs, indie graphic novels, and manga. And then 40% off DC, Dark Horse, Image, and Marvel graphic novels. So get down there, take advantage of the scramble sale, go to their new location, at 3456 Yonge Street, and tell them Aaron sent you.
1: You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum.
0: Hey, fan people! Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. You can follow us on all social media outlets, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Speech Bubble Pod. And we are here today because TCAF is happening in Toronto, and we have some very special guests here. We have the legendary... Eddie Campbell, and his equally legendary wife, Audrey Niffenegger. Eddie, you know from his work on From Hell with Alan Moore, his autobiographical comics, Alec, which some say are some of the greatest comics of the 20th century. If you ask Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore, they they would agree with that. But they are here to promote a book that they've done together called Bizarre Romance, which is coming out for TCAF basically just about their lives uh, and their romance and some of the things that they've, they've experienced as a couple. Also, there's The Goat Getters, which is a story about early comic strip history. Eddie was just telling me that it's, that it's pretty expensive, so uh, I'll have to ask you guys, about the Goat Getters and about bizarre romance and about some of the other graphic novels that you are uh, associated with. So welcome, thank you for doing this. This has been awesome. Thank you,
1: Aaron. It's it's lovely to be here. Mm-hmm. We're hoping the sun comes out soon, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're sitting in a hotel. It's it's a live interview and it's a little bit overcast. But you know, we're not uh, doing a very good showing with the weather, but. For my first question, I wanted to start with i guess Eddie primarily, but uh, Audrey as well, because your your involvement in bizarre romance sort of uh, lends itself to this but Eddie, you do a lot of autobiographical stories, but you do it sort of askew. you pick like an avatar for yourself, like Alec McGarry and, and you are sort of in his sphere with with the bizarre romance and and the autobiographical comics that's a little bit fictionalized you know what i'm saying so why do you choose to do autobiography through an avatar and and making it a little bit fictional to
1: me there's no difference really a story is a story Uh, i started using phony names a long time ago because i was Not so much protecting the innocent as protecting the guilty. I was mixed up with some people who might not want it to be known what I had on them. But I I hang around with a totally different sort of people now. I I hang around with very nice people like Audrey over here.
2: Um, I don't really actually tend to do a lot of autobiography. I hide in the world of fiction. But there's some things in Bizarre Romance that are autobiographical. they are essays one of the things in there is actually a sermon.
0: Right. And she's depicted as a character in some, in some parts because you do work on comic strips together. Just on that.
1: It was, it, was it was simply on the, it was on the story digging up the cat. Okay. And it was such an odd thing to do that you couldn't really blame it on anyone else, even an avatar. <laughs> right. In fact, her agent thought the thing was unpublishable for, for many years. Really? But I've illustrated it. And I've turned it into a little comic I've taken 13 of Audrey's stories and I've turned them into either comics or pieces illustrated in, in the, the traditional manner of illustrated fiction You know, with a big title and then a, a picture and then a couple of uh, spot illustrations dropped in the text here and there and the, the two types of presentation interleave, they alternate that there are seven comics and Six illustrated stories, so that you you go from one to the other. the, the one or two of the st- of Audrey's stories that I I thought were just too complicated to illustrate, too difficult. I didn't want to I didn't want to signal what was happening ahead of time. I didn't want to give it away because in a comic it's too easy to see what's coming up, mm-hmm. and the stories depended on subtleties and and. Uh, horror that, that was revealed so gradually that you, you couldn't see two, two If you saw two pictures ahead it would ruin it. I won't tell you which story that is just in case it spoils it. I won't even tell you which story it is. Okay. What, what do you think Audrey?
2: Well I've always been a big fan of illustration. When I was much younger I was interested in being a book illustrator. Little did I know that it was a vanishing profession
0: yeah it seems like you know there's there's more graphic novels and less picture books and stuff of uh, stuff around.
2: yeah we were hoping with this odd um mix up to maybe inspire some people to to just break the form a little bit.
0: yeah, for sure, for sure. i uh, I have to sort of tell our listeners because you know bizarre romance is about your romance, how did you guys meet? what is your what is your
1: story? Yeah, the stories are bizarre, and the romance is ours. Some people have said, but most of these stories are not romance. We, we think of them as, we think of the whole book as, as being like an album of songs. You know, not, not everything, not every song in the album has to indicate or illustrate the title of the album. Right. But, but there's enough of a, a sense of romance in it to, that that, I felt, should be the title of the book. We've been working on these stories in the two years since we get married. The, the stories are older stories of Audrey's that would have made a nice collection of her short stories. And, right. I, and I said, why don't we turn these into pictures? though? Why, why don't we make comics of them? Uh, and I, she looked at me in horror at first. She thought, well, I, I don't know about that. She said, you know, that I still might want to use these stories yeah.
0: after you've finished with them. Audrey, were you a comics fan uh, before you met Eddie? And what is your, your relationship to comics uh, prior to meeting
2: him? I've been really interested in um, indie comics for a long, long time. I went to art school in the early 80s and I was a huge fan of Raw and Mouse and all that. Art Spiegelman, Francois Mouvi. Art Spiegelman, Movie. Um, just all the, all the kind of crazy, edgy stuff. I've never been that into superheroes, I'm afraid, but uh, I like all the weirdness that people were doing with comics. So before I met Eddie, I actually published um, a comic called The Night Bookmobile in The Guardian for a while, and eventually that was a book. But um, yeah, when he first met me, he he kind of looked that over and I guess he thought it was okay. (laughs) You asked how we met. Um, We met through Eddie's daughter, Haley, who I met in Sydney, Australia, while I was at some festival. Right. So it it was kind of a chain reaction. So I met Haley in 2006, and then she almost accidentally introduced me to her dad in 2012.
0: Accidentally?
2: Well, she needed a place for him to stay. Um, she was living in London and still is. Eddie was visiting her. The person he was staying with um, had somebody else coming, and so Haley put up the, the distress signal and said, Oh, can you can stay at your place, Audrey? And I'm like, Yeah, sure, but I'm going to be there. Yeah. So he, we, a, we well, met
1: because he was my house. So guest. What, did, what did you think of well, that? Audrey, has, Audrey lives in Chicago but has a flat in London. Right. So I didn't think she was going to be there at the time. Oh. I was hoping she was, because I because <laughs> I had designs. <laughs> I,
2: I
0: was gonna ask, yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, I found out I found it later that he was he was carefully deciding like what shirt to wear and you know. Anyway, I was completely oblivious. I was like, oh, hello, and what would you like to do while you're here? Do you want to go to museums? Do you want to do this and. He just gave me this look like, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> what was
0: it What was it about her, and conversely, what was it about him? I'd,
1: ri- I'd written a couple of blog posts about Audrey um, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I, I liked her ideas. I liked her idea that um, the graphic novel was just another illustrated book. Among all the great illustrated books of, of history, such as I'm trying to remember your ten favourite illustrated books. There was Charlotte, Charlotte Solomon. Solomon's Life or Theatre. Uh, I mean, she had Chris Ware's Jimmy, uh, Jim Jimmy Carrigan. And yeah. What other books did you have? I'm trying to remember. God's
2: Man, was that one? Yeah, Lindworth's God's Man, um, Arthur Spiegelman's Mouse. Um, boy, I, replicating that list is a little bit of a challenge now because there's so many. But I... Right. But I wrote,
1: uh, yeah, I wrote a blog post about. It. I th- I thought the, her her choices uh, suggested a, an an essay. I wrote a short essay about. I I, I it was at the time where was a, where we were arguing about what the graphic novel is anyway, and I thought it, uh, I thought her take on it was interesting. Was that it was uh, another kind of illustrated book, mm-hmm. and here are the here are my ten favorite illustrated books of all time. Um, Audrey. Before Audrey wrote her novel, she, she did a couple of glorious big uh, picture books, The the Adventurous and The Three Incestuous Sisters, which are large format uh, books, where with, with the pictures are, are aquatints, which is a very laborious process of making wow. richly colored and toned uh, illustrations. And she'd have a, a big picture on the right with a little bit of text on the left um, and, and what the, other one the Raven Girl was the yeah, other one that uh, Audrey did uh, so that for her to do a novel was kind of um, an accidental twist, a bit of departure twist in the road mm-hmm. she'd come up with a story and thought it wouldn't work as an illustrated thing
0: but isn't it weird that like you become known for something and then you know people in publishing or people in the media sort of pigeonhole you in that in that area and then when you try to do something different they're like oh they feel like it's coming out of left field oh audrey's just showing me one of the illustrations it's a it's a woman in a in a black dress and a bunch of crows or or ravens or pulling each strand of hair uh, this way and that as she's kind of climbing off her bed she's in her bedroom it looks really amazing, really like, really like witchy and dark, sort of, but also kind of enchanting. Uh, I wish you guys could see it, maybe we'd put the image on, on the website when we upload
1: the episode. Yeah, Audrey's, Audrey's work is always deep in um, surrealism and supernatural, Right. and mine, I've, I, it's always an interesting match because I've always been interested in the mundane and the, mm-hmm. the quotidian
0: Right. But did people know that you were, people that had fallen in love with the time traveler's life, did they know that you were as into illustration as you actually were? And did you have to get over that and introduce them to who you, who you really were?
2: A lot of people had no idea that I was a visual artist. And uh, people are always asking you, what are you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have that problem. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. So I don't know what they expected, whether you would, suddenly declare allegiance to one thing or another but to me what's really exciting especially with comics is that you can put it all together mm-hmm. and the comics make this whole reality you've got the words and the pictures and any other thing that you can get comics to do all at once so I've always been drawn to it for that reason and when I met Eddie it was really interesting because of course he's a historian of comics as well mm. as a, a maker.
0: Had you, had you read his, his stuff before? Uh, what was it about him that sort of, uh, I mean, he, he had designs as they say, but, but how, what made you fall in love with him?
2: Oh, he's so cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen his work. I read From Hell around the time it first came out as a book. Mm -hmm. And um, he had actually sent me, via his daughter, he had sent me The Fate of the Artist, which I thought was really unusual.
0: I I also, I have it actually, and and I've read it. I wanted to ask you about Fate of the Artist, because it seems like in a lot of your work, particularly in autobiography, you are sort of interrogating
1: yourself. I've always been interested in art and art's place in the world and what an artist does and how he makes his way or she how she makes her way i'm, I'm always more interested in chris ware than i am in jimmy jimmy corrigan right i'm more interested in art spiegelman than i am in the mousie mm-hmm. to me the bigger story is the story of the the author the, the creator the, the art the art the comic artist who's who, who's putting it down there I, I, you know what? What the substance of his story is—that's is, is, that, that's the clay with—he's making something to show me, and he's really telling me about himself. And on that higher level, I'm, I'm more interested in him than I am in, the, you know, the the characters. The characters, mm. the, the characters are, are, and of course, you know, there are great characters in the world, like William Gull or <laughs> fictional Madman. Who's, who's as interesting as Alan Moore, although I'll probably find Alan Moore much more interesting. Right, right.
0: It's sort of like finding out the motivation behind the creation.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's another story. There's always another story going on. And when, when you see a movie, I'm, when I see a movie, I'm always I'm, I'm interested in this confluence of, of, of different storylines. of The story of this director is coinciding with the narrative of this actor so that in any given movie there's a dozen different things happening story-wise over and above the actual story of the the film if you see what i mean right 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 and
0: in fate of the artist too you have a dozen different stories but not just in the way that you tell uh, the story for those who who don't know you're sort of fictionalizing sort of investigating your own death but you also experiment with like media media
1: like yeah different techniques *Fate of the artist it's an autobiography in which the author is missing. Right. So all through the book my part is played by an actor who doesn't look exactly like me because he becomes an interesting person in his own right. Richard Segrist his name is. And so he gets to to, to have these little side bits of business going on where we start to tell his story about things he did at, at, at drama college when he was learning how to be an actor and I start to piece together the what an actor does and how an actor goes about his, his business and what he thinks, so that the fate of the artist is about the artist, the, the idea of the artist on so many different levels,
0: illustrated through different experimental techniques. Yeah, as there's well. about half
1: a dozen different looks, different approaches going on in this book, and and sometimes, some like that. It starts off as as, as a a prose story as though it's been told by a, a Raymond Chandler-esque detective mm-hmm. and some of the things that happen in that prose also happen in the comics that start to appear in there and then there's a, an illustrated inter- photograph, uh, an uh, interview with my daughter uh, which, which is photographed, it's photographs with word balloons right. and there's a, there's a little funny old uh, old timey comic in there about a married couple called Honeybee which is like something from the 1920s mm. except that it swiftly it swiftly goes off the rails and they're trying to destroy each other by the, <laughs> by the end of the book and not all marriage is like that is it darling? we don't know any marriage like that oh well I hope not that's not what I signed up for
2: to be a Honeybee
0: <laughs> do you guys I mean in terms of you know the the types of uh, subject matter you tackle and the mediums that you explore it seems like there's nothing off limits the type of techniques that you do are you just you know whatever strikes your fancy that's the sort of thing that you're you're going to do you know some people they they pigeonhole themselves but you guys seem to
1: you know everything is on the table i think every co- every story in a comic, demands its own style, right. its own approach. To me, it's an old-fashioned kind of comic artist who takes a style with them and does everything in the same style. I think you know that's comic, that's old comic books style. Right. And if you do your Sergeant Rock and his Howling Commandos, or whatever it is, whatever it is for Marvel, in that style, you can't take the same approach and and do a a serious. Story about about things that have happened in real life. Right. That demands a different style. Mm -hmm. But From Hell demanded a style. That's not really my style. A lot of people say, "Do do it in your From Hell style." Well, that's not my style. I had to invent that style. I didn't. If I'd known it was going to go on for six hundred pages, I'd have invented a simpler style because it's that was a hell of a pain in the arse drawing that for for so long. And I'm, I'm glad enough to do that anymore. Right. Although, have you heard? Uh, what have I heard? Have you heard? <laughs> we're, we're supposed to be. Being, we're supposed to be announcing it. Oh no, I haven't heard. We're doing a completely revised edition of From Hell, in which I'm colouring it. You are colouring the whole thing. Lee, I think it was Lee invented the the blurb. Wow. Jack is back, and this time the blood is red. That's awesome. I wanted to
0: talk about From Hell, of course. One of the things that struck me about it when, when I read it is the style you pick, going off of the style, is sort of you make something that is sort of sinister in action, but it's very ordinary in the way that you depict it, like ordinary life, which
1: makes it more menacing and more, more sinister. Horrible. Part of the problem with uh, the Jack the Ripper movies is that the first thing they do is they create the set. And this is the set that has no other purpose in the universe except to contain Jack the Ripper. Right. So as soon as you've seen the set, you're ready you're ready, you know, the horror is, is in the set. And all the women are are dressed in Victoriana rather than Victorian clothes with the feather boas and everything. And nothing looks like real people looked like in 1888. The whole thing is designed to be this awful vision of horror, but real horror sneaks up on you. Real, and real horror in real life happens when it's suddenly, a, when it's suddenly out that something been terrible has been going on at the orphanage. You know, what well, was the story I was reading in the paper today? That somewhere in Bulgaria, and they've discovered the nuns have been torturing the children or something. But real horror. Did I make that up? or
2: I? I think you made that up.
1: I don't know <laughs> what's going it on happens, there, but.
0: though I, I understand what you're saying you're saying that like real horror happens every day in the sort of yeah. mundane parts of our life. real horror
1: happens where, you, where it's not expected mm-hmm. and so you have to create an environment where, where, where in which horror is the least expected thing so when I create the, the, the scene in the, the candy shop that is now beautifully colourful now mm-hmm. all the coloured labels and, and so on it's a beautiful little, little scene of, of of sun coming in the windows and and when they have sex a few pages later, it's all pink. You know? Yeah, and
0: wonderful. So it's, it, like you forget what you're supposed to be. You forget the reading. It are. sort of lulls you into a false sense it's, of security. Yeah,
1: it's a lovely scene. It's funny and it's and it's it's full of cheery colours and we forget where the, But we don't know where the story's going. So that Alan Moore is taking the reader on a on a strange voyage where we don't know what's happening next and I'm not I'm not telegraphing anything right I'm enjoying it like it's it's everyday life
0: well when I when I read those opening pages my thought was I thought I was supposed to read be reading about Jack the Ripper uh, we're, we're starting in, a, in an interesting place.
2: Wouldn't it be great if you could go back and reread everything and you didn't know what it was supposed to be? Right,
0: right, exactly, exactly. And Audrey, I wanted to say, because we were talking about the style of it, and it did remind me of sort of old, like early 20th century sort of illustrated novels and like Penny Dreadfuls and those sorts of things that we were talking about earlier. Did it strike you that way when when you were
2: reading it? It struck me like somebody at the time was making sketches, Mm -hmm. you know, because Victorians were maniacs for keeping sketchbooks and the young ladies all learned watercolor and just regular people were making drawings all the time and you know everybody knew how to play the piano, etc. But there was all this amateur art and it it almost looked like a cross between the professional illustrations you might find in Punch or something like that mm-hmm. and, you know, somebody's sketchbook of their immediate surroundings.
0: Eddie, what was, what was your intention there in inventing that, that style that is not your own?
1: I can't remember, but every, every book and every, every story in every book requires a different style. So, so so you know, in Bizarre Romance, Every story has a different look. Every each one is a different challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, each Audrey in each story, Audrey gives me a different antagonist to work with. I was particularly taken with the idea of creating all these different uh, women. Each one had to be different from the others, and each one had to be a, a living person to me. It, it, while I was doing it, does the the, the the young teenage girl who falls through a mirror and finds herself the ruler of a, a strange dimension and she introduces coca-cola and fish fingers and democracy in that order wow because that's because and I thought it was, I thought that was a funny idea because that's that's the order a teenager would change the world right you know that, that, that's that's the things in their order of importance priorities right but, but then again at the end of the book there's, there's, a, there's a lady who's 40-ish and feels that she's wasted her life and, and I've drawn her in a completely different way in a, 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 as she's ageing uh, her, her face is it's coming in and out of focus beside behind these sharply defined glasses from panel to panel I, I, I found a way of capturing her predicament that was completely different from the other one which was all colour and gaudy and, and, and must up hair and they're d- d- completely different characters. Do you think so, David?
2: Yeah, what was really great not being my own illustrator was finding out what all the characters looked like. Because often if you make a first-person narrator, it's hard to get them to describe themselves without doing that terrible thing where they accidentally catch sight of themselves in a mirror. It's a great and, you know, Yeah, they go, oh yes, look at my blonde hair, oh I have blue eyes, how lovely. It must have been so
0: nice to have written these stories and maybe had a completely different idea of what they would look like illustrated, and then being surprised when you saw the final product.
2: Yeah, and, and pleasantly so, and some of the pieces were really incidental to me. There's one that's called Motion Studies that I wrote in an afternoon as a very kind of impromptu performance piece that was going to be done, I think, a day later and filed it and thought no more of it. And later when I piled everything up in front of Eddie and said, well, here's the stuff you can pick from, he seized on that because it was so short that there was a whole lot of space to expand using the pictures. And so he made something much more enormous and elegant than what it was when I was first putting it forth.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. What a resource that, (laughs) that you are. That's great. So, I mean, obviously your relationship continues, so now that Bizarre Romance is out, are there going to be more
2: Bizarre Romances?
0: Like, (laughs) is there going to be a sequel?
2: You make this sound like there's going to be polygamy (laughs) or something. Yeah, we haven't thought that far ahead. Um, Eddie's Goats book has just come out, so that's kind of taken everybody's brain. I'm trying to finish a novel, so...
1: There's Speaking there's of polygamy, what's the wor- What's the working title of the as a follow up to? Her? Can we tell that? The
2: oh, sure. Yeah.
1: The working title to the sequel to um, the, the Time traveller's Wife.
2: Uh, yeah, it's called The Other Husband because um, the main character is bigamist.
1: Ah. But, um, Which. But we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can be when you when you're a time traveler and you get things going on and in different periods. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well,
2: it seems to be one of the things time travelers get up to in our collective imagination, so obviously there's some unexpressed uh, thing that everybody would do if they were a time traveler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you were, When you were doing A Time Traveler's Wife, what was the original idea? Like, what was your thought process behind that? Obviously, you probably didn't anticipate that it would get the response that it got, but what did you originally want to want to do?
2: Way back at the beginning, all I had was the title, The Time Traveler's Wife, and my first thought was, well, that would be a colossal drag. You'd just be sort of sitting around, waiting a lot, wondering where your time traveler was. And so it started off as a Kind of an exploration of negative space, um, and then I thought, well, that's not going to be a very interesting book, and I started filling, filling in around all that waiting with all the things that happened to this couple.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Very cool. I'm I'm looking forward to to the sequel. I want to see and see what happens. <laughs> that's awesome. So I want to talk about uh, the goat
1: getters. The, the goat getters. It's about the great epidemic of goat getting in nineteen oh seven. It's never been properly exposed and talked about. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's about a phase in, in, in the early days of, of the history of, of cartooning and comics. It's about the 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 evolution the invention and evolution of the sports page cartoon and then that how that became the Daily Comic Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the great comic strips occurred on the, first appeared on the sports page. Not many. We don't know this because we only ever see them cut out, we only see them clipped out and shown in, in books where we, we don't see their original context. And the thing that's interested me in this book is looking at the newspaper as a holistic environment where things happen, cartoons happen differently in different parts of the paper. Like for instance, in, in the opening, at the front page, way back in the 1890s, when everything was drawings, and in the opening pages, the front, second, you'd get caricatures of the politicians. You'd get, you know, you get a big uh, political cartoon. Right. Caricatures of the politicians. And at the back pages, you'd get little theater reviews, and they were drawn in a different way. And you get these little things, a whole genre of cartoon that I've discovered, which I'm calling the story cartoon, not because it tells a story, which it usually does, but because it accompanies a story. So the story might be about the landlady who has confiscated her tenant's clothes until he pays his rent mm-hmm. and they'd give this to the uh, the funny guy to illustrate and he'd do it in a few little vignettes and he'd make a little kind of narrative out of it. and and. All the, the West Coast papers were doing that. They were three or four of these things in every, every day's issue. And I'd show quite a lot of them. They, a lot of them capture the, the ordinary life of the working guy of, at the time. He, he's, he's always nameless and, and kind of faceless because the, the cartoons at the back of the paper are done in Bigfoot style, whereas the, the cartoons about the movers and shakers, they've got big heads because we know who they are and we want to make fun of them. But it's not worth sending somebody out, out to get a likeness of some schmuck who's done something stupid. So they just give him big feet instead of a big head, and they're right. worried if it doesn't look like him. Right, right. Totally right, different right. styles of cartooning happening in different parts of the paper. But the great cartoons that started in the sports page include Crazy Cat, oh I remember Barney that. Google, Silk Hat Harry's divorce suit. There were usually things going on in these cartoons that you couldn't really put in the kids' section. Okay. You couldn't put these in this the colour funnies because th- there was kind of a rough house aspect to them that was a bit, they were, they were a bit uncouth. Kind of edgy. Well, they were just uncouth. They were okay. really rough. Mm-hmm. A bit rough. They trod all over everybody, right. especially ethnic types or oh, women. They trod all over women. It was terrible, you know. Right. You've been listening to Speech Bubble, back after this.
0: Hey fan people, it's your host Aaron Broverman. Just want to tell you about this amazing signing opportunity. I say amazing because it's for Amazing Spider-Man 800. It's the first Marvel comic ever to reach such a high number. And artist Stuart Eminen is going to be in the house with his wife, Catherine Eminen. Together, as an artist-writer pair, they are a Canadian comics power couple. I mean, Stuart has worked on things like... Star Wars, Empress, Fear Itself, Next Wave, Catherine has been a writer on Runaways, Sif Journey into Mystery, Agent Carter, and if you're watching Jessica Jones, you'll remember Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Together they've published their own books, Russian Olive to Red King, Moving Pictures, and Never as Bad as You Think. You can pre-order your copy for $10 of Amazing Spider-Man 800. Just email asm 800. beguiling at gmail.com. General inquiries about the event can be sent at mail at beguiling.ca and day of copies of the regular cover are $12 Canadian if you miss out on the pre-order. Head sketches will be available from Stewart for proof of purchase of trade paperbacks, hardcover books, as well as sketch covers on the actual Amazing Spider-Man issue 800. Unfortunately, Stewart will not be doing any convention or commission level sketches and there are no exceptions. The address is 319 College Street and the signing is from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, May 30th. So get there at 5 o'clock sharp and tell them Aaron sent you.
1: Welcome back and now more Speech Bubble so many of the great comic strip characters of the 20th century began on the sports pages like Crazy Cat for instance or Barney Google or Silk Hat Harry's divorce suit uh, and, and the, 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 these are Barney Google, Silk Cat Harry these are characters that would not at the time, as they were when they first appeared would not really be welcome on the kids pages they were ruffians and no goods. They they were sporting people who who would waste all their money on a bet, like uh, Mutton Jeff. They were disreputable characters. Are these the people that the paper imagined were reading the sports pages? Uh, no, I think I think that men just to like like to read about disreputable characters. Now, over in the women's pages, you 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 get stories about romance and and how fine young gentlemen should should behave and how ladies should behave and and there everything is decorum and prettiness and uh, and softness and loveliness and i got this great run of cartoons between the the women's page cartoonist nell brinkley and tad dorgan the sports page cartoonist she just arrived in new york and she was an excellent uh, draftsman beautiful detailed drawings and elegant and, and wispy and and she had a sense of humour, they were funny and lovely, but for some reason Ted d- decided to make her life difficult by lampooning her on an almost daily basis this was during the, the Thaw trial, where it didn't matter that he was supposed to be illustrating sports, he was making fun of the, the, the Thaw trial, this great crime of passion that made a a celebrity out of Evelyn Nesbitt um, and, and, uh, who, whom Nell glorified in, in huge picture after picture showing her in all her beauty and all her wonderful hats and clothes. and She did a great run of, uh, of, of illustrations of the court hearings and Ted on the sports page was mocking it all. Uh, making a, a ridiculous mess of the whole thing uh, he, he did one great big white cartoon called New York's three ring circus where everybody in the in the story is got a circus part and there was an- another one where uh, he's he's given everybody a part in in a musical rendition of Uncle Tom's cabin and this is all happening on the sports page um and just, just the case, just so for people who aren't familiar what, what, what was the, the case, the crime the of passion crime, The which crime you of spoken? passion, and I tell, the, I tell the story in as much detail as we need to know in order to understand what the cartoons are doing the architect Stanford White had seduced the beautiful Evelyn Nesbitt before she married um, Th- Harry Thaw Harry Thaw was a, a, something of a a champagne Charlie, as we'd say in England. He was, he was a bit of a an upper class loafer, mm-hmm. but anyway, there was something wicked about White, undoubtedly, in in his seduction of, of, of young women, and and uh, Thor had unravelled the whole t- tale and and d- decided to get his revenge and had put a bullet in White's head in the garden. The, um, in the, the restaurant garden on top of Madison Square Whoa. Gardens, uh, which was a huge sporting arena at, of at the time, and still is, of course. Of course. It? Um, Although it's not the same building as it was then. No. The the original building was designed by Stanford White, the uh, the man who's just been murdered. And Evelyn Thaw, who was sitting there at the restaurant tables, just said, "Oh, Harry, look what you've gone and done."
0: Oh man. I I love I love the sort of decorum that still sort of exists. Like it's still such a polite thing to say when something like that happens. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Look what you've gone and done, right? Um, Yeah, like it's 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 interesting. Did you find that you were part historian, part comics journalist?
1: Yeah. Yes. The book is the book is full of stories I, I'm i being a historian here but a story a historian is a, is the teller of, of the story of the past so, right. so much, We, I grew up thinking history was, it was dull dull, dull, uninteresting stuff I did geography at school I wish I'd done history because his, history is wonderful, it's full of murder and mayhem and horrors uh, and as well as love and beauty and, and And the whole gamut of of, of the human story is in history. And my book is full of the big story and lots of little stories, uh, stories of of, of artists who have been completely and utterly forgotten. I found one particular artist, Grant Wallace, his name was, completely forgotten. He he was doing political cartoons for the Hearst paper out in San Francisco. And he... He must have gone off the rails at some point because when he died at age eighty, they found his house full of his personal communications with the Martians. Whoa! And, he, and he's drawn them. He's drawn them as he sees them in in these telepathic communications that he was getting. Wow! This was after he died, you know. They, they find they found it all, and he's been hailed as a twentieth-century Blake. Oh, these a, cartoonists. A dude. strange, a strange man. And they have other things going on. And that then. things that once again the face of the artist <laughs> this is what, it's the biography of art that has always interested me has always been my my main interest
0: right and as much as you do autobiography, you do sort of do comics journalism in your research because you did that whole story about money and 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 that kind of thing and now you're coming back to it with the history money. of
1: this do you i i like to I like to uh, to yes yes i I, I, I like to. Tackle all the great subjects: right, money, romance, Mm -hmm. murder. Mm -hmm. I've used them all up. Is there anything left?
2: Oh yeah, loads. Yeah. (laughs) I'll make you a list, sweetie.
0: Audrey, do you have a fascination, you know, with these early twentieth century, early twentieth century comic strips, particularly the the women who were doing them and and that sort of thing too, and and uh, like, like he said, the sports page versus the, the women's page and, and that sort of thing. Um, d- can you speak a little bit about that dichotomy? Uh, as he was researching what did you uh, get to see and take out of it?
2: Well I got to go along for the ride for some really fun adventures. Probably the best was when we went to see um, Kate Carew's granddaughter uh, Christine Chambers and um, she had a bunch of her grandmother's oil paintings and some original drawings, and it was just spectacular. But Kate Carew is a forgotten master. I mean, she just has done the most incredible stuff. She used to do these interviews with marvelous people like Picasso and the Wright brothers and Mark Twain, and she did a great one with Jack Johnson, which Jeff Johnson figures very largely in Eddie's book. Uh, great book. Black started culture. a race
0: riot, right?
1: Yes. Uh, he, When he, he, he beat the great white hope, Jim Jeffries, in Reno, Nevada, and immediately after the race riots all over America, 23 people they reckon was, was the final death tally, um, but who might they Kate Carew that Audrey was talking about was is one of the great unrecognized cartoonists. I think quite a bit about her in the book because she was a San Franciscan and the focus of the book is the, the this move cartooning movement that came out of San Francisco. And she we we don't see the best of her work. When they show it in books she did a little comic for a while called Mama's Angel Child, which is kind of saccharine little thing that's not really the most interesting thing she did for a long period every week every sunday she would do a whole page she got where she would interview a celebrity and do three or four caricatures and that was a weekly thing she's one of the great cartoonists of america one of the great american cartoonists of the period and uh, she deserves a whole biography i think um, i think one was talked about a while ago but she came to Europe, she, she worked for a, a London magazine, traveled Europe, that's when she interviewed Picasso for one of her uh, Sunday spots. She's a totally fascinating person and uh, well worth a, a revival I think. That's That's so
0: interesting I mean I think there's sort of been a revival of exploring the role of women in comics. People like you know, Trina Robbins and stuff are, are doing uh, Pretty in Ink and, and th- those sorts of things. And some of the people that you mentioned sort of recur in, in, in that work. So what do you think of that, that exploration of history, particularly at a time when uh, you know, we're in things like the Me Too movement and that sort of thing? What do you think uh, this sort of revival and renewed interest in this period for comics is, is saying?
2: Well, to me, somewhat, it seems like everything old is new again. I mean, I I went to high school in the late 70s and early 80s when there was a big push for feminist art and everyone was rediscovering all these amazing women artists who had been forgotten. And so now there's this uh, kind of impetus in comics to recognize a lot of the women who have really... Um, done interesting things, but part of part of what I'm thinking about is okay well great let's let's all be aware and and you know be amazed by these wonderful creators but let's not then forget again let's not let it go by the wayside but actually permanently nail everybody down into the bigger picture so that it's a shared comics history and we don't have main comics history over here and all the women with their own history over here, but you know, everybody, people of colour and and all the interesting, interesting people that somehow didn't get on the A-list back there in the day. I mean, what I love about history, I was talking about what history is, I mean, to me, history is something that, is constantly changing and we go back and we find what we need, you know, it's like a big closet, everybody's always looking for their skis or their roller skates or something. Right. And and so to me the important thing seems to be we all get to uncover these things and and discover and be so excited by them, but then let's also be influenced by them and let the influence carry forward. Yeah, that's
0: that's really amazing. I don't want to keep you guys much longer, but I think my final question is: I know that you will be interviewing each other uh, for for TCAP. What are your uh, anticipated uh, feelings about about that? And how do you think it's going to go?
1: Uh, well, like everything else in our life, it'll go swimmingly. <laughs>
2: Actually, I was thinking I could just get naked and do some mud wrestling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure some people would enjoy that. (laughs) Anyway, um, where can people find you if they want to follow your careers? Are you online? Are you on social media?
1: You can find me at com. And you, darling?
2: Well, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, and I have a website, and my name is so peculiar that I'm easy to find. It's just, if you Google Audrey and then the letter N, you will get me every place. Awesome.
1: See, with me, there's so many Eddie Campbells that I didn't want to be Eddie Campbell 349. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's eddicampbelldammit.com. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's a, there's such a
0: finality. I am the Eddie Campbell. And uh, I'll leave you guys on that note. Thank you so much for uh, doing this with me. Thanks, Aaron. It
1: was a great to talk
0: to you. I, I'm I'm so glad.
2: Thank you so much.
0: You're you're so welcome. And uh, don't forget, you guys, to subscribe to the podcast if you liked us. Go to neversleepsnetwerk dot uh, Get your gifts at Giftogram, our app, where if you type in Never Sleeps fifteen, all one word you'll get uh, $15 off and we'll get a little bit on the back end to support the podcast. So with that, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice. Never Sleeps Network.